before they leave. Well, we're thankful for uh, the Spirit moving when we pray. We just realized that... Uh, we need to talk to... Don't let Michaela Dimmick get out of don't here. Don't let Michaela escape. So. Dave and Michaela are going on a mission trip next week, and they won't be back in church. So this is our opportunity to, uh, to pray over them. They are going to Mexico, right? For two weeks, I believe. For two weeks. Come on up, Dave. We know where we lost Michaela to. Somebody get Michaela. Mr. Haro, you're in charge of finding Michaela Dimmick and sending her up here, okay? I think you need some place where Mr. Haro can't go. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Mr. Mr. Haro goes where no man's ever found before. I thought, I thought the whole team went walking out that way. I thought she yeah, they went that way. way. <laughs> this may take us a second. Tell us about the trip. Well, um, there is a uh, um, orphanage and school that we are going to be um, doing some work there. Um, we're not entirely sure what kind of uh, building we're doing, but um, there will also be some interaction with the uh, with the uh, kids in the school. So. Um, they have told us that um, God will help us find our, our calling while we're there, so we don't know what that is exactly just yet. But it's in Oaxaca. How many of you know where Oaxaca is? How many of you can spell it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it's um, between Mexico City and the Guatemala border, um, just about halfway between where we're going to be. So... It's, uh, it's exciting, and we're actually going with uh, Youth with a Mission, and uh, it's exciting. And we are so thankful that you're going to be praying for us because it's, it's going to be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you step in between us here? <laughs> we do know it's going to be exciting. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to be the point of your grace wherever you send us. And we thank you that uh, you have given Dave and Michaela the opportunity to be sent to this place. We just ask, Lord, that they be, uh, along with this group, that they be, as Esther, the right people for the right time. Amen. We ask that you keep them safe, Lord. We ask that uh, you help them to see your vision for the people of the world and that they could bring that vision back to us to show our neighborhoods to Above all, Lord, we just ask that uh, they grow closer to you and closer to each other as father and daughter, as friends, and as they meet new friends, and as they reach uh, the people there with your grace and your mercy. Again, Lord, we praise you and thank you for the opportunity to do so. Please help all of us call Dave and Michaela to mind every day that they're gone and uh, bring them back to us safely, Lord, uh, full of... Uh, full of your mercy, full of your grace, and full of a new sense of mission. Amen. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. This is a great church. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, 
Unfortunately, I, well, it, 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 it's always bittersweet when we have to come to the end of a series. <clears throat> Pastor Walt and I probably could have done three or four more, but we, we know that there, there is a time. There is a time. This was supposed to be only a summer series. And so we come to the end of our summer series, our prophetic seminar that we looked at, uh, the, the summer duet, we called it, I, Daniel, and I, John. And since we have a lot of material to cover, we have actually the last four chapters of Revelation to cover I'm going to do something that probably not too many evangelistic series do. We're going to skip the second coming today. Just skip right over that event. Just hop right over. Because we realized that, uh, that if we were going to choose between the two, I wanted to go somewhere where we normally don't go in evangelistic series. And maybe then, maybe you'll be able to forgive me for getting over the which would be more of a doctrinal type of study, the second coming and the millennium and all of all of those beautiful things, beautiful teachings, uh, beautiful and horrible at the same time, because it brings this whole horror show to an end. And we've been talking about the horror show now uh, for quite a bit. But I think that that jumping ahead, if you just hang with me, that maybe jumping ahead, uh, you'll understand why we chose to end here. Um, I remember the first time that I saw her, we were at a mall just an hour before. We had left Bet Shane up in the upper Galilee and had driven down for our Jerusalem part of our Holy Land tour. This mall was like any mall in America. It was, it was on the other side of the Mount of Olives. It had a gap and a Benetton. It had music and video and electronics. It had a food court, which is why we were there. A food court's great for a tour of 50 people. It's easy to feed people. I had falafel for the upteenth time. Even the Burger King sold falafel. So Burger, they didn't sell veggie burgers. They sold falafel. So we got back on the bus. We drove out towards the city. We got up on a rise. And you come over the Mount of Olives. And then you see her. And I really wasn't prepared for it. There isn't a way to describe it. Uh, not the first time. And it doesn't catch you any other way the, the next times that you see her. It's that first time. It's seeing Jerusalem for the first time, especially seeing it from the Mount of Olives. Now, now tour companies do it differently. They do it, you know, uh, as to how they take you into Jerusalem. But this one company decided that on Friday afternoon, the best way to do it was to come just to come up over the Mount of Olives and just say, bam, there it is. And that's really what happened. It just it just hits you. It hits you between the eyes. Jerusalem, you're looking at it from uh, probably the, the middle of the Mount of Olives, the, the wall that's a reproduction done in the, in the 13th century. And, and there's the Dome of the Rock. You see the western wall then to, to the right behind those trees. And then, you, of course, you see the modern city up and behind it. Jerusalem. Yerushalayim literally means foundation of peace. The Salem or the end of it is supposed to is is supposed to be more like Shalom or Shalom, actually. And it literally means the foundation of peace. But the first time that you hear of her told in the Bible, it's in the context of war. Joshua 10 tells that it was a war that had to take place in order for Israel to take Jerusalem from the Jebusites. When you're there, when you when you go into the old city, into the old gate, into the old Jewish quarter, you will be shown by your tour guide bullet holes 
from all of the wars since 1947, the occupational war of 1947, the Sixth Day and Yom Kippur wars of 67 and 73, the bullet holes are all in these ancient buildings and walls. In the years since, how much blood has been shed in Jerusalem? And it's never been any different from Joshua from Joshua to Golda Meir, Ben-Gurion, all the way up till today. How much blood has been shed in the city of Jerusalem? So let me ask you, is this city the one that holds all the hopes and dreams of all God's people ever since there was God's people? It can't be. Not this one. Not this one. But this one. Revelation 21.1 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the what? The new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Prepared, prepared specifically for you and for me. This is the Jerusalem that is the foundation of peace. This is the Jerusalem that fulfills all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of God's people. From Adam to Abraham to you and to me. Now, one amen. Are you still mad? I'm not going to talk about the millennium today. With the end of chapter 20, this entire horror show, all earthly conflict comes to an end. The great controversy comes complete to an end at the end of chapter 20. Maybe sometimes that's all we need to know about chapter 20. If you think about it, it, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of years of conflict and war from the fall all the way up to the time of the second coming. Maybe it's time we quit talking about the war itself, because when we get into chapter 20, then we begin to argue with other people about when the second coming happens and 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 who is raised when and the millennium happens here. And we're just continuing to fight and fight and fight. Maybe that's why we should just skip over chapter 20 and come to the new Jerusalem to all of our hopes and dreams. I didn't mean to make light of the second coming. We are Seventh-day Adventists. Advent meaning the first and the second Advent. And I'm looking forward to the second coming. I'm looking even more forward to when he moves us into this city. All of our hopes and our dreams. But if you think about it, the end of the earthly conflict is now here, right here. Chapter 21 and 22. Revelation is the end of the Bible. The New Jerusalem is the end of the conflict. The beginning of eternity. The life that he, that you and I were promised by believing in his promise is ours in the New Jerusalem. You think that the conflict, the conflict began in Eden. It's the home of God, New Jerusalem. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. The last time that we were able to walk and talk with our God without conflict, without sin, without selfishness, without these natures that you and I adopted that doesn't allow us to love anymore was back in the garden. Eden was the last time that we were able to fulfill what God had in, uh, fulfill what the, what He had in mind for you and me. And all He had in mind for you and me was to walk with Him and to talk with Him. So this brings it all to a close. 
It says that he'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. God himself will be with them. Adam and Eve were able to walk and to talk with him completely unsullied by sin. Completely unsullied by selfishness. And they are able to walk and to talk with him face to face. No more looking at his back. No more veil. Jerusalem allows us to do that again. The new Jerusalem is Eden for us. Eden restored. The garden is back. It's here. A gigantic cycle. The great controversy, this huge cycle that began with safety and security, beginning in a beautiful place that God made perfect. When God walked with his children, when he talked with his children, ruined and set upside down by us. The rest is the consequences. All the rest of the Bible is the consequences of life on account of sin. And finally here the cycle is completed. The old is destroyed. The evil is gone. Genesis 1 and 2 are given back to us. Revelation completes it. And it wouldn't be complete without these two chapters. Chapter 21, chapter 22 would not be complete without this city, without our garden. This is why we begin here today. We may be ending the series, but we begin the life that God has in mind for each and every one of us. Forever. So, You could ask, is the New Jerusalem literal? Is that city literal? Is it going to be something we can touch and feel? Because there have been teachings that maybe it's a state of mind. Okay, maybe it's a state of existence. Some higher reality that really can't be described. Well, the answer would be yes and no. Because the city is described as literal, but it's also described as symbolic. It's in the future, but it's described by things in the past. Things that we know. Because it's the answer to all the great controversy. It's the answer for everybody, everybody, ever since there were God's people. Let's go back to the beginning of God's people, okay? The Lord said to Abram, we all know Abram's our father. He is our, our, our spiritual ancestor. He is our grandfather. He is what brings us to God, being related to Abram. And you're thinking, well, wait, Greg, I, you know, I'm not Jewish. Uh, well, no, thanks to Jesus, we're all children of Abraham. So God said to Abraham, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land. I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you. I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, not just Jews. Not just the physical, literal descendants from Abraham, but all the families will be blessed. This is the Abrahamic covenant, if you will. Okay, The land, first of all, bring him to a land that he shows you. Second of all, being made a great nation, so he's given descendants, which is a really cool trick, because by here his wife is nearly 100 years old and barren, but he says, don't worry about it, I've got it covered. And those who bless you I will bless, those who curse you I will curse. And by the way, every family, not just your descendants, every family of the earth will be blessed by this covenant that you and I enter together, God tells Abraham. This was the beginning of God's people, if you will. Abraham becomes the the patriarch, the patriarch. He's the big dog. He is the man. But when Abram goes out and he goes looking for the land, what is he looking for? Now, you would be told, literally, he was looking 
for Jerusalem itself. The day that it comes to sacrifice Isaac, he literally sees Moriah. He sees the physical place where Jerusalem is located. But I would argue that that's not what the covenant is about. The argument is that I believe is that Abraham was looking for the new Jerusalem. Because when God described this covenant to him, Abraham realized, Abram now, Abraham in the future, Abraham realized that he's describing the garden. He's describing a place where all come together. No conflict. Listen to that. Listen to the way that it's worded. The covenant that was given to Abraham, yes, was given for a time and a place and to people, but Abraham was looking for the garden. It's the new Jerusalem he was looking for. Because Hebrews tells us, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He set out not knowing where he was going. By faith he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised as as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect was who? God may have ordained the old Jerusalem's foundations. Other people may have built it, but the only city that God actually builds the foundations is the new Jerusalem. This was the hope of all Jews and all Gentiles. The new Jerusalem, not the old Jerusalem. This is what Abraham was looking for. So if our spiritual grandfather has been looking for this from the day he began to walk and to talk with God, then that becomes the hope of all people. Everybody who has come to believe after descending from Abraham, physically or spiritually. This is the city. This is it. We can't confuse the old Jerusalem with the new Jerusalem. As impressive as the old Jerusalem is. Literally, I told you, it took my breath away. It takes your breath away the first time you see it. It's not that the city is beautiful in and of itself. It's just that you realize what you're looking at. You realize what you're looking at. You realize that you're standing in the same place that Jesus stood when he wept over her. That's That's what takes your breath away. And the city is pretty good looking itself. It is pretty good looking itself as far as cities go. New Jerusalem was prophesied about. Prophesied about. Let me see. Oh, that's right. Now, let's just go ahead. Let's go ahead. Ezekiel says, he brought me in visions of God to the land of Israel, set me down upon a very high mountain on which was a structure like a city to the south. Revelation 21.10 says, in the spirit he carried me away to a great what? To a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. We look at the old Jerusalem as the fulfillment to the prophecy in Ezekiel, but actually Revelation is what fulfills it. Nearly exactly. Nearly word for word. It's been prophesied about for years. When he brought me there, a man was there whose appearance shone like bronze with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand, and he was standing in the gateway. The angel talks to John and has a measuring rod of gold before the city and its gates and its walls. The new Jerusalem has been prophesied about for years. Ezekiel then describes in detail the walls and the gates. He gives you a complete description. What's interesting now, though, is that he says there was a wall all around the outside of the temple area, and then the rest of the verse describes it. I just left it out. But Revelation 21, John says, I see no what? No temple, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. No more building for God. No more little closet to shove him in. No little piece of furniture for him to sit on. 
No distance between those who worship him and him. He now is walking and talking with his people. What he wanted all along. No temple there. No temple there. For the temple is their God. It's what the new Jerusalem was intended from from the beginning. The patriarchs and prophets look forward to that city, this city. It's the home of the saints that we've been looking forward to. It's our Eden. So do you see how important it was to those who must have first heard this? See how important it was when John finally sees it? Because this is the hopes and dreams for all of John's ancestors all the way back to Abraham. Which, by the way, is why you get such a, I don't know, a certain type of fulfillment in John's gospel. Because he's already seen everything that he's seen in Revelation. And when he comes to write his gospel, there's something else to it. There's a fulfillment that he brings to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He has this majesty about him when he comes to write this. Because he has seen all of his hopes and his dreams fulfilled. And then he gives them to us and tells us we can have the same fulfillment right now. Look at the garden in Genesis. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four branches. Revelation 22.1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne, from the God and of the Lamb. God gave them the garden in the river. He gives the new Jerusalem the river in the new garden. The garden fulfilled. Verse 9 in chapter 2 of Genesis says, Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight of good and good for food. The tree of life is in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Through the middle of the rest of the, uh, Revelation 22.2, through the middle of the street of the city, on either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit producing its, its fruit each month and the leaves of the trees of the tree are the healing of the nations. Again, the healing for how many? Everybody. There is no segregation in the new kingdom. It doesn't matter who your earthly relatives were in the kingdom. All that matters is that you are there and that he provides it. The original curse was this. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The fundamental separation that sin brings between you and God is that we no longer want to be in his presence anymore. God still comes. God still offers. God still relentlessly pursues his children, but they hide from him now. They have shame. They have guilt. They have hostility that they don't even know where it came from. They have the inability, the, the, no longer have the ability to love, to love God and love their neighbor as their self. They hide. This is the result of the original curse. The new Jerusalem cures all that. Nothing accursed will be found any there anymore. There anymore. Nothing what? Nothing accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. No more hiding. There's no bushes. There's a tree. One. Not two. One. And no bushes to hide in. I don't see any bushes in the New Jerusalem. Not described. No bushes. No need. 
Don't have to hide. Just the tree of life. And notice the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is gone too. These people that have lived there have decided they've had enough of it. Because God decided long ago that we had enough of it. He decided to do something about it. Yes, chapter 20. He did something about it. So there's no reason to go back. They'll see his face. No more hiding. You can't hide if you want to. Like I said, there's no bushes. So They'll see his face and his name will be where? His name will be on their foreheads. He's now named us. You're brand new. Once you get a new name, you're brand new. There is no past. There isn't anything behind. The millennium and all the questions that you asked God and everything was the last thing that we left behind. We gave it all to God. We gave it all to Him. And in the kingdom, He puts a new name on you. One that He names us. It's Eden restored. There was night and day in Eden. Even in unfallen Eden, there was night and day. Remember? There was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day. There is no night in the New Jerusalem. There's no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. I'm a night person. I love it. I'm going to have to get over it. How many night people here? Get over it. Nothing we can do. Nothing we can do. Because every time we try to go to a dark place, there he is. And wherever he is, it's all light. So I'm just going to have to trust him that I will no longer want to go to a dark place. Maybe we'll have slides. Maybe we just have little pictures of what night used to look like. Completely restored. See, the three curses of sin was this. The land was cursed first. Adam was told the the ground is now cursed. It will no longer yield itself to you. By the way, the curse was brought about because of Adam's inherent selfishness now. See, really, it's the curse of sin. It's not that the land itself was cursed, but God actually blessed the land in order to protect itself from this self-centered creature who's about to take it all. Okay? It will no longer yield to you. You're going to have to fight it. Okay, you're going to have to work for it. Gene and I were talking at the beginning. Every frustration that you have ever felt as a gardener, every frustration that every farmer has ever felt, Adam all of a sudden now feels all of them at once. And he's got no technology. He has no roundup. Martha hates roundup. So it's good that... You know, she, she would say Adam was her kind of gardener. Okay. The second curse was pain and labor or childbirth. The actual procreation, the actual uh, creation of or continuation of the species is going to be rooted in pain. It's going to be rooted in, in, in labor. Nothing is going to be easy. Life should be the easiest thing of all because before the fall, that's all God said. You're living creatures. Live. That was as simple as the command was given to both of them. Live. And by the way, you can't if you go near that tree. So here's the commandment. Live. Go near that tree. Partake of it. You won't be able to. So even the simplest of things, the beginning of life, it's now rooted in pain. And then there's the exile. They can no longer live in the garden anymore. 
Now, again, the enemy will argue that God is taking away something from us because the way it's described is that God sends the angel in and takes away the tree of life. He says, lest they reach out and touch it, lest they reach out and get it now. Now, in their state, what he's saying is, do you want sin to last forever? So it's a it's a symbolism that the tree of life is taken out and they are, quote unquote, kicked out of the garden. It's just that they no longer are citizens of the garden anymore. They're now citizens of death. The garden is about life. It's all about life. They're no longer citizens of the garden because we've chosen death. We thought it was pretty bright of us to choose death over life. But those are the three curses of sin. The Abrahamic covenant cures all of that, by the way. This is what Abraham saw. Abraham said, wait a minute, three curses to sin. Abraham said, wait a minute, this covenant really fulfills all, which is why I know that it wasn't the earthly walk that he was walking, which was important, extremely important, but it was more important that he was looking forward to the spiritual walk, to the spiritual fulfillment, to the new Jerusalem. The land was cursed. He said, go to a land that I will show you. God said, don't worry, I've got the land covered. I'll show you the land. Childbirth and pain and labor, I'll make you a great nation. Sarah is going to to bear you children, specifically one particular child, the child of the promise. Everything is going to come from him. And then the exile, no longer living in the garden. Everybody will have fellowship with God because of Abraham. All the families of the earth will be blessed. So the covenant cures all of that. Looking forward to the new Jerusalem, the living out of the covenant is the new Jerusalem. This city is where it happens. It's the hope of the church. Right now, you and I exist in a church that exists in the letters. And the letters, the best that we can do in the letters is this I commend you for comes from our Lord, our God. And this I don't like about you. That's the best we can do. That's the best we can hope for. That's what we studied last week. The church has good things. It has bad things. And by the way, the church, since its beginning, has gotten nothing but worse because it eliminated its first love. The best we can do is that we live in the church of the letters. The best we can do is that our Lord and God says, I've got these things for you and I have these things against you. The hope of the church is fulfilled in the new Jerusalem. We won't have to live in the letters anymore. Ephesus was promised the tree of life. Revelation 22, 2 says through the middle of the street of the city on either side of the river is what? Is the tree of life. Ephesus gets her tree. Smyrna is, uh, promised escape from the second death. Smyrna is the martyred church. They're the church of death. And he says that, that he will wipe away tears. Death will be what? Will be no more. Smyrna gets her promise. Pergamum is promised a new name. Revelation 22.4. They'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Pergamum gets their name. Thyatira is promised the authority of Jesus and the reign of God. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore. But the throne of God, the authority of God, the lordship of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. Thyatira get their authority they were promised. 
Sardis has promised white garments and to be written in the book of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Sardis gets her white garments, and she gets written in the book of life. Philadelphia has promised a place in the temple in the city. I heard a voice from among the thrones saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. Even the church that Jesus had nothing bad to say about still needed a promise, and that promise is fulfilled in the new Jerusalem. Laodicea has promised a place on God's throne. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. You and I get our place on his throne. The new Jerusalem is the hope of all of this. And it's there for all the families of the earth. All of the families. It's available to everybody. It's available to everybody who meet the conditions. Now, you may think you know where I'm going here. Okay, because it does say this. Revelation 21 says, For the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In other words, the promise for everyone who chooses not to believe is what? Death. It's always been the same promise. On the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay. But we look at that. See, I look and say, all right, now, if, if, if this second coming thing happens tomorrow, well, I still got a little bit of this left in me. Uh-oh, what am I going to do? And what we did then is then we tried to purge all of this out of us in order to be ready. And the condition would be that I would be perfect. No, I want you to notice the first thing, the cowardly and the what? And the faithless. Anybody who thinks that being a murderer or a fornicator or a sorcerer or an idolater or a liar keeps you out of the kingdom, then you have no faith because it's by grace you are saved by faith. I'm not going to get in this city because I was a good boy, but I won't be kept out of the city because I was a bad boy. The only thing that gets me in the city is that Jesus says I'm worthy. And that's who gets that. So it's not that he's saying this, and it's not that he's saying, okay, well, if you're still practicing this, you won't get in. No. Where is your faith, he says? Where have you placed it? Is your faith placed in you being able to get good to get in? If so, then you have no faith. Or is your faith in him? In Christ, not only our salvation, but our righteousness. Those white robes that Sardis is wearing, we all wear. He made them white. He put them on us. He wore them first. The conditions of the kingdom are that we believe that the kingdom is for us. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. The doorway stands open for you right now. One thing that we've kind of left out and we'll conclude here is that it's been pointed out to us that John describes the city like he's far away from it. 
At first, he describes it as far away. He describes the physical appearance of it, you know, that he can see that it's, it's square and it's this and that. He describes the walls and everything else. But you'll notice as the, as the chapters go on, the description becomes more intimate. And actually, I think what John is trying to tell us is that he's approaching it. And if he's approaching it, then you and I are approaching it. See, because remember, I, we, maybe we didn't go into this too much, but in the book of Revelation, John is inviting you to partake in the vision with him. What he experiences, the church then experiences, experiences also, not vicariously. When Pastor Walt talked about that scroll, John eats the scroll. But in doing so, he represents the church. We all ate the scroll. And it was sweet and bitter. You get what I'm saying? So when John is approaching the city, what he's trying to tell us is that we're approaching it. And the reason we're approaching it is because it's becoming closer. And it's becoming closer. Because it's what Jesus promised us. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that, that I go and prepare a place for you? If it weren't so, if it, if it wasn't there, would I tell you? See, when John writes this down, when he remembers Jesus' words to write the gospel down, he's seen the place that was prepared. So imagine his words now. Maybe, maybe John really didn't believe the words. You know, when he heard him the first time, but now he sees it. He sees the city. He saw what was prepared. A city that comes down out of heaven, prepared, if you will. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Again, God's only wish, his only hope, his only dream is that you and I are with him, walking and talking. John is approaching the city because as time marches on, we're approaching the city. It's getting closer. It's getting closer. Not this one, but the new one. Everything we can hope for, everything we can hope for is in the gates of this new city. This one has its problems. This one has its problems. Just like every city on this planet has its problems. But the new one coming is what Jerusalem was always supposed to be. Jerusalem, a true foundation of peace. One in which all of the families of earth will be blessed. You're not going to be able to buy it. Your goodness will not be able to buy it. Nor will our badness be able to forfeit it from us. The reason that all are welcome there is because all have sinned and fall short of glory of God. But all have the same opportunity to partake in his righteousness as everyone else does. See, the only way that it could be based not on what you and I are or who we are or what we became or how good we became or how bad we were is that God provides it all. Only by the work of God. This thing, John tells you, is prepared by God himself. No human hands built this. No human hands built this foundation. It is based on his love and his grace. And the gates are open all. All we need to do is to believe that Jesus came to live for us, to die for us, and to give us his righteousness. And when we do, and when we do, we hear those words. 
welcome. Because we're welcomed with the welcome that he gives his son. These are the conditions, by the way. Will you be loved? Will you be forgiven? Will you be loved? Will you be forgiven? Are you prepared to love after you have been loved? Then you're ready to meet the conditions. Jesus is waiting. And this city is waiting for us. All of us. I warn everyone, he says, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away that person's share in the tree of life. If anyone doesn't tell everybody what's available for them, is what he's saying. If everyone doesn't tell what's waiting for them, if you try to take away anything from them, if you try to interpret the words that not all of the families of the earth will be blessed or can be blessed, the one who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. John adds, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. And so closes our words from John. She's waiting for us. She's waiting for all of us. Thanks to Jesus. The revelation of Jesus Christ fulfilled in the city that he prepared for you and me. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much, Lord, for taking us on this journey this summer. It's been a hot summer, Lord. It seems to drag on. We need rain. We thank you for the rain that you gave us every Sabbath. I thank you so much for the wisdom and the insight and the inspiration that you gave Pastor Walt, that you gave John, that you gave Daniel. I just ask, Lord, that this just be the beginning for all of us, that we dive in and we dive deeper, and that we every day pray the words at the end of Revelation as John did. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Grace be to all of us, and we thank you for the one who gave it to us in his name. Amen. Our discipleship classes will start in just a couple minutes. If you're visiting with us and you have your children, most of our children's classes are right outside this door. Uh, the the uh, classes are, are, are labeled, um, except for the little ones. The tiny little ones, they meet right back there. The classroom is right in the back of our sanctuary. And uh, the adult classes, they all meet in here. If you haven't been to one of the classes, anyone is available to you. We, we urge you to come. If you'd like to study the Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath School,